Yeah, but even back then, just writing about the courtship and the tension between them, that was considered right. extremely racy. And Alyssa, did you have more questions? No, I'm now just wanting to go back and reread Pride and Prejudice. Well, now now I feel like I need to read it, even though I know I know what happens, sort of. Wait, even though you know what happens, it's still worth reading. Oh, shit. <laughs> I fell into the Alyssa trap. Hello, and welcome to Fiction Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to books and book lovers like us. I'm Josephine Angelini. I'm Lauren Sanchez. I'm Alyssa Hilfinger. And I'm Aileen Calderon. We're four childhood friends from the suburbs of Massachusetts. We've always loved to read almost as much as we love to talk to each other. We started this podcast as a way to celebrate how a really good book can come into your life and change it. So if you're looking for fun and engaging conversations about books, stick around. This is Fiction Between Friends, and we're glad you've joined us. Welcome back. This is Season 2, Episode 8. I'm Josephine Angelini, and joining me are my dear friends, Aileen Calderon. Hi. Lauren Sanchez. Hola. And Alyssa Hilfinger. Hello. So how's everybody doing? (laughs) National Beer Day. National Beer Day. (laughs) Everyone has a beer for me. Cheers. Cheers. So we've got to do a special shout out to Shauna and Emma. Yeah. I know. The feedback Uh, from the listeners is so fun. Is is Shauna? Shauna was the one who was also read Poldark. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's my new BFF. (laughs) (laughs) We love them. So um, and next week we are having for the first time ever a guest speaker. We're going to have a guest author. Well, she's not really an author. She's a screenwriter. So we're just warming up. She's one of my really dear friends, Barbara Stefanski. And she's a filmmaker. She's a writer-director here in Los Angeles. But she works on Outlander. So she's going to talk with us about cool. how to turn a book into a TV show or a film. She's also, um, she's originally from Poland, grew up in Germany, and now lives out here. So she also writes in German. And she's working on this uh, other series called Totenfrau in Germany and Austria, which is another book to TV adaptation that she's doing that's going to be out in October. So she wrote that show, too. So she's going to talk with us about um, turning books into film and TV and in several languages. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I have two questions about this, Josie. When is she nice? Will we like her? Oh, she's one of us. She's totally one of us. I'm she's so much that. fun. She's lovely. Absolutely lovely. Um, and her son was born one day apart from Pia. So oh, her son and my daughter, we were in the same hospital. We think we were in rooms next to each other, but we didn't meet until we were in like a baby class. And I look oh, wow. up across the drum circle and I see this woman. Wait, just so, like wait. the look on her face. Wait, it was a drum back, circle. The drum I circle. <laughs> with baby. Hang on. Go back. It was the a drum baby drum circle. circle. Yeah, there was a giant drum in the middle of the room and like the babies bang on it. It's like oh, okay. we were just sitting there and like the look of defeat on her face was the same as mine. And I was like, oh, yeah, she gets it. Yeah. I was like, we're going to be friends. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. But yeah, she's definitely she's a great person to talk to. She's a lot of fun. Awesome. My cool. second question, um, does she have embarrassing stories about you? She might. I mean, okay, I don't know. We'll, like, we'll find out. We'll find out. Does Josie even have an embarrassing story? I, she has I do. To. I mean, everybody has stories. to, but I have so many. No, horrible. <laughs> do you ever get one of those like shame waves? Where, like I was at the deli today and I remember something stupid that I did like 25, 30 years ago. And I was standing there and I just was like, oh, Oh my God, that was so dumb. <laughs> Standing there all by myself oh, yeah. in agony for a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's a lot of fun. All right. Should we talk about um, our books? books? Um, all right. I read Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. Um, Curtis Sittenfeld is a woman, not a man. Mm-hmm. I've read another one of her books. I read, um, I think it was Prep. 
which I really liked. And I thought the whole time it was written by a man. And then this book, I was looking it up and I was like, this doesn't seem like a book that a man would write. And it turns out that Curtis is a woman. Um, this is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Cool. If I had ever read Pride and Prejudice, I would give you a really intellectual breakdown of the differences between this book and Pride and Prejudice. But I have <laughs> never read Pride and Prejudice. Can't believe that. <laughs> not judging. Not judging. I no. You can judge me. That's fine. No, no. I can't if believe you've I seen read. the movie, you're good. I I watched the movie <laughs> and you watched the Karen Knightley. Didn't one? like it. I did. I did not like it. I didn't like that one either. I love that. No, I like that actor, whatever his name is, Matt. Matthew, Matthew McFadden. He doesn't mm-hmm. brood the way Colin Firth broods. And plus, he's like the dorky husband on Succession now. And I just. Oh, so you get know him from somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Succession. Like Mr. Darcy in the movie, I'm like, you're such a boring boob. I have no idea why <laughs> anyone would have any interest in you. He just kind of like walks around and it's sullen and miserable and and then suddenly they're in love and there's all this sexual tension and I'm like where did that come from I don't understand the book is fabulous in the book you get to see the development of the characters and you know why they might actually care for each other and and the redeeming qualities that the personalities have and Josie Pride and Prejudice was the first book you did for Mm -hmm. our podcast so you know Pride and Prejudice I don't um You'll appreciate this, though. So this is a modern retelling. It's great. It's funny. It's like a really quick read. It's broken up into really like short, bite-sized chapters. It takes place in Cincinnati, which I know the original Mm. does not. The author is actually from Cincinnati. So Liz Bennett is in this. She is a magazine writer um, living in New York City. Her older sister, Jane, also lives in New York City and is a yoga instructor. Like (laughs) this book goes like full modern. (laughs) And they come home to Cincinnati because Mr. Bennett has emergency surgeries. They're going home to help out. They get home and their two sisters, Kitty and Lydia, are living at home. They're a couple of deadbeats. They just go to CrossFit and are on a paleo diet Mm -hmm. and just kind of looking after their figures all the time, not really doing anything to take care of themselves. That tracks with the characters. And then Mary, the other sister, is just always kind of in school and disappears every now and then and no one's really sure where she goes she's not really a part of it i feel like she's just sort of they're like that tracks yeah there's another sister we're just gonna throw her in there and just make her mysterious so we don't have to you know talk what about though her. i like that they didn't make her a loser because it could have been really easy to twist that character into like over the top caricature nerdy dorky nobody likes her so I- i'm on board with that She's just sort of like mysterious Mm -hmm. and probably a little nerdy, but like nothing crazy. Nothing wrong with nerdy. So this also is consistent. Mrs. Bennett is just hell bent on getting all of her daughters married. Like that's all she wants. So this this is where it gets super modern. Chip Bingley. Mr. Bingley. Mm -hmm. Yes. He comes home to visit. He has been the star of a reality show called Eligible, Mm -hmm. thus the title of the book. And so Mrs. Bennett is like, oh, my God, he's an eligible bachelor. We need him to marry one of my daughters. So she, like, sends her daughters off to a barbecue to meet Chip. Hopefully one of them will fall in love with him. At the barbecue, Mr. Darcy is there. He is a neurosurgeon. Um, (laughs) That that tracks. (laughs) Same name, Fitzwilliam Darcy. He and Liz have a like love-hate thing going on. Like you're like, oh yeah, you guys are going to fuck. I get it. (laughs) You know, they sort of like hate each other, but there's all this tension and then they keep running into each other and then she goes for a run and she bumps into him and she's like, 
do you want to just go back to your house and do it? And he's like, yeah. So they go back and they screw. So they develop this relationship where they're just having casual sex all the time. And really? It's great. She's like, and she is like, I don't want a relationship with you, but let's just keep screwing. It'll be great. It's just, it's everybody's a total character in this. The house in Cincinnati is in a total state of disrepair. Mrs. Bennett is a hoarder. Oh, yeah. That trap. That's really cool. That's a great touch. This sounds awesome. Mrs. Bennett, um, also is like on uh what's the home uh, the home shopping network tv thing mm. she's just constantly like buying things online and just filling up the house with tons of crap and they're actually in debt so liz takes it upon herself to be like you guys have to sell the house you need to get things like fixed up we need to like she becomes the fixer she's like she just wants to fix the entire situation so if I had ever read Pride and Prejudice, I would say it was a very accurate modern retelling of it um, based on the movie. I think it is. And it just it gets all kinds of modern themes in there. Like there is a transgender character. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but it's in, it's an interesting little twist. And it's just like a really fun read. Um, is there the misinformation? Like Mr. Darcy thinks her family is unsuitable. And that's what she takes offense at. And that's why she's like, you want to marry me, but you think my family's unsuitable, that they're tacky. And that's, no, I'm not going to marry you. You're a jerk. Is that played out in this version as well? Eligible? Yes. There's like miscommunication. She thinks that he disapproves of her family and that he's causing trouble. And then she later learns that he's actually been very helpful and doesn't actually think that. And she sort of misinterpreted Mm. things that he's done. Yeah, it's a really fun, it's a really fun book. And I, I actually love that it has short chapters. It just makes me feel like I'm making great progress because I read so quickly and I'm like, <laughs> oh, yep, made it through that. Okay, this is a random chapter, but this is describing, oh, and the, the other thing throughout the book, like Chip has been in this awful Bachelor type reality show. Everyone in the entire book has watched the show, but nobody really wants to admit that they've watched <laughs> oh, it. That's funny. Everyone's like, <laughs> everyone will be like, oh, yeah, that that show where, uh, yeah, I think I've heard of it. And then they'll describe with complete accuracy every single episode. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so this is just describing an episode of it. Um, In the final episode, with only two women remaining, Kara, a wide-eyed, blonde, ringleted, 23-year-old former college cheerleader turned second grade teacher from Jackson, Mississippi, and Marcy, a duplicitous yet alluring brunette, 28-year-old dental hygienist from Morristown, New Jersey, hey, New Jersey, Chip wept profusely and declined to propose marriage to either. They both were extraordinary, he declared, stunning and intelligent and sophisticated, but toward neither did he feel what he termed a soul connection. In compliance with FCC regulations, Marcy's subsequent tirade consisted primarily of bleeped out words that nevertheless did little to conceal her rage. So even the language that it's written in is very Jane Austen. What does duplicitous mean? Backstabber. When you're duplicitous, you say one thing and you do another. Like duo, like D-U is sort of like Latin, right? For like two or two or multi. Got it. Which apparently amphibie, amph, the prefix amph means two-sided as well. I learned that today. Fun fact. Which is amphibian (laughs) is water and land. And there is a Greek goddess, Josie, you might know this. Amphitrite. Wow. Impressive. All right. And that's our Latin lesson for today. Thank you, Yeah, Alyssa. how about that? Latin and Greek. smarter. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a description of the five Bennett girls. So all five girls had then gone on to private colleges before embarking on what could euphemistically be called non-lucrative careers. So in the case of some sisters, <laughs> non-lucrative, non-careers was a That's more precise deep. descriptor. Kitty and Lydia had never worked longer than a few months at a time as desultory nannies or sales girls in the Abercrombie & Fitch or the Banana Republic in Rookwood Pavilion. 
Similarly, they lived under roofs other than their parents for only short stretches, experiments in quasi-independence that had always resulted in dramatic fights with formerly close friends, broken leases, and the huffy transport of possessions by a laundry basket and trash bag back to the tutor. Primarily, what occupied the younger Bennett sisters was eating lunch at Green Dog Cafe or Tellers, texting and watching videos on their smartphones, and exercising. Oh my gosh. Okay, as someone who is currently paying a college tuition, how did they put five children through private colleges? I think that's why they're they're now bankrupt. <laughs> they have no money now. Um, I have so many yeah, questions, so, like you know, the cousin, the the cousin twice removed, uh, oh, cousin that has right. comes and wants to you know become Cous- engaged. Mary Lizzie, and, yeah. Cousin Willie, he shows oh, up. Oh, his Willie. name is Willie. <laughs> yes, cousin <laughs> so Willie. Creepy. Cousin Willie shows up. And Liz is sort of like, yeah, I guess we've always gotten along. Let's, I'll take you out, Willie. I'll show you around. And then he tries to kiss her and she's horrified and is like, Willie, no. And he's like, but we're only step cousins. It's okay. It'd be all right. We can get married. And she's like, I like how the author sort of adapts Mm -hmm. that to seem a little bit more normal. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, and then he, yeah. And then he ends up falling for her best friend, Mm -hmm. which I think actually really happens. Yeah. yeah. That's in the the original. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they don't fall for each other. They just get married because it's convenient and she's out of options in the original. It's yeah. In this one, they fall for each other and she abruptly moves to L.A. to be with him. And then she gets there and is like, what the hell am I doing? He snores and Liz goes out there and she's like, well, have you tried earplugs? Have you tried this? And Liz fixes the situation. Is it in the movie? Doesn't he end up dying by like falling headfirst into his apiaries and get stung to death because he's allergic to bees? And she's like, well. Here I am. No, that's widow. not in the book. Yeah, well, let's see. <laughs> you, you dreamt that part. What? Yeah, that is I not in the book. Is that maybe is that, that a fan it. fiction adaptation that I may have read? That might be fan fiction. He doesn't <laughs> die? Are you sure? <laughs> no, he's definitely so. not. No. So there <laughs> was a really steamy three book set of fan fiction that was, Lauren, you would enjoy it right now. Oh, you why? would Ooh, really steamy, steamy? enjoy it. You were not into fanfic. It is. You read like a three series. It is some steamy fan fiction based on Pride and Prejudice. So Jane Austen never got married. And so what I read was that she really only wrote about what she knew, which is why a lot Mm. of her stories end on the wedding day because she didn't know what came next. And so all, you know, Pride and Prejudice ends the day they, the couples get married because that, yeah. The story that she could or tell. Or the day of the proposal right. or whatever. So the fan fiction yeah. that I have read at least is, you know, honeymoon and first <laughs> couple years of marriage. And yeah. I don't know if I want to read about anybody's marriage necessarily. Lauren, as long as we're on you, what did you read this week? Oh, well, I actually, so I, on my way to Portland, I had to grab a book like last minute and I've, I grabbed this book that I'm try- I've been trying to read. It's called it's in Spanish now. Okay, so our listeners may not be able to read this book because it's not actually translated in English yet, but it is on Netflix and you can use subtitles. Now it's a different story a little bit on Netflix, but it's um Netflix is called Valeria and it's a I believe it's in Madrid, Spain, but it's a Spanish um, TV series. And the book that I'm reading is called En los Zapatos de Valeria by Elizabeth Benevent. I may have mentioned before, I may not have, but I love to watch Spanish TV spe- specifically from Spain because I absolutely love to listen to them talk. And I, I put the subtitles on, but I try not to use them. I've just, I've watched so many great shows out of Spain. So the story of Valeria is about a 30, maybe between 27 years old and 30 years old 
character named Valeria, and she married <laughs> she Clever. married her husband Adrian quite young, maybe like twenty one, twenty two. But it's it's about also her friendships, and there's four friends, and I've decided each of us represent one of them. But I'll get to that in a minute. Nerea, uh, Lola, and Carmen, and they're all very very different. And it's all about their friendship and their love lives and their sex lives. The different thing about between these four friends is that Valeria is married and they are not. So Valeria's relationship, her marriage is actually not great. There's not a lot of sex happening. Um, there's not a lot of connecting. And in the book, I actually have not finished this book. It's it Because it's in Spanish, it takes me a lot longer to read it. Wait, I'm curious about that. Like, yes. what's the difference when you read a book in English and you read a book in Spanish? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you, are you actually actively translating in your head or like... I usually will not read a book in Spanish unless there's two things that will make me read it. One, I've watched the show or the movie, or two, I've read it in English already. That way I can know the story. um, So I know the characters and I'm not guessing. When I watched that show on Netflix, I really liked it. And I Googled, I wonder if it's based on the book. And it was. Um, But when I first started reading this and Los Zapatos de Valeria, I was looking up every single word, like, oh, I've got to, you know, in every phrase, and I've got to understand all of this. Let me just say this. I absolutely love Spanish. As you guys, our fans, our listeners don't know, my husband passed away. He was from Colombia, and I learned Spanish living with him in South America, and I miss speaking it. I just love that language. And it's something I never thought I would learn. I never thought I would mm. learn a language. I know two, you took French of, in high school. I was in Josie and Alyssa's French class. I sucked at I that I was the class. only one who took oh, Spanish. I was so bad you at were, French. I remember. Good Lord. I know. No, me Josie, too. you were better than me. Hello, you wrote that Toulouse-Lautrec pa- paper. You oh, wrote that's it. Right. <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> not me. I was like a C student in French, couldn't could not. And I just thought, well, I'm just not good at French. Then I moved to Colombia and all of a sudden I'm fluent in another language. So I'm very proud of that. Lauren, Lauren, what was the name of it again? The book? Yeah. It's called In Los Zapatos de Valeria in Valerie's Shoes. Um, But like I said, it's on Netflix. It's called Valeria. It's the story's different um, than the book, but I loved the dynamic between the friends on in the series, and I love it in the book. Yeah, so I it, highly it is a story it. then about this group of friends. One's married, the rest aren't, mm-hmm. and right. And Valeria, yeah, I should probably explain this a little bit better, but she's the narrator. It's first person, and she's an author. She had one book published. She's working on another book, but it's not. She's somewhat um, blocked in her writing. Um, and then she's having these problems in her marriage. So she meets another man named Victor. And um, he's basically just so hot. And, you know, she's resisting. And all she's of a sudden the words it, then, just come out of her. <laughs> yeah. And then, no, but she actually goes to see her husband in, in her his studio because she's really concerned about what's going on in their marriage. And he just doesn't seem to want her intimately, you know. And he's there without his shirt on and there's a girl there. That's where I stopped. Mm-hmm. I haven't gone Ooh. further. I can't wait to find out what happens. I don't like yeah. it. There shouldn't be yeah. reading uh, there. And after that, she's husband. calling Victor like, hey, dude. Right. Keep keep reading and fill well, us in. I know. Yeah. Alyssa, what did you read for our, our random on a win whim episode? So you sparked it for me, Aileen, because Ooh. Matt Haig is the author oh. of The Midnight Library. Yeah. Oh, good one. And so last time we talked, you were rattling off a list of books and you said in the Midnight Library and he wrote this and blah. And my sister-in-law, I think when this first came out, she was listening to it and 
she she just was constantly distracted with her earbuds in her ears and she was listening to this book and she loved it. And so I knew I wanted to add it to my list. And then it was one of those things that you just don't get to, don't get to. And you had mentioned it and I thought, okay, I'm reading it. I need to read it. So I did. Um, I think the best description of what it's about is the opening when you first open the book and turn to, you know, after the the quote from Sylvia Plath and the dedication and there's just a quote and it's between life and death. There is a library, she said. And within that library, the shelves go on forever. Every book provides a chance to try another life you could have lived to see how things would be if you had made other choices. Would you have done anything different if you had the chance to undo your regrets? And that's the premise of the book. But the midnight Very sliding doors. It, yes, that's mm. what I thought of, too. It happens to be a library for Nora. That's the main character in this book. For another character that she runs into, his name's Hugo. His version is a video store. And so it's like an old blockbuster kind of a thing. And so it's this vehicle for trying out different lives is different depending on what best suits the person involved. I mean, I, I because this is a fairly new book and people may want to read it, I don't want to give too much away, but the very first sentence gives you a lot of information. 19 years before she decided to die, Nora Seed sat in the warmth of the small library at Hazelden School in the town of Bedford. She sat at a low table staring at a chessboard. Nora, dear, it's natural to worry about your future, said the librarian, Mrs. Elm, her eyes twinkling. And then they're playing chess, and Mrs. Elm is her middle school librarian. And you see that Nora is in the library at school, and she's fairly young, but it's 19 years before she decided to die. So you know that this is a woman grappling with heavy issues, and that ultimately her library that exists between life and death is something that she puts herself in. And that is not really the, the crux of the book. Um, it talks a little bit about her mental health issues and her struggles and one of the lives that she tries out. So once she's in this place, the idea is that she wants to revisit her regrets and try to address some of them. And that's what she thinks will help her find happiness, find peace. And she has several regrets. And in one of them, mm -hmm. she decides to address it. And the result is that she tries out living this life where she is a famous person and is the keynote presenter at a conference. And the other thing that's fun is every time she decides to try out a new life, there's this sleuthing that mm -hmm. has to happen to figure out who she is, what her past has been up to that point. Because she she has just dropped into a life. Exactly. Right? She has no idea like what's going on. Right. right. So she has to like she basically goes on the internet and Googles her name to find out what there is about her, or she has to look for context so cool. clues around the room, or she has to look at mm -hmm. photographs hung on the wall to see who she's pictured with. So she realizes that she's the keynote speaker. She realizes what she's famous for, <laughs> and she's going to be presenting. Can you imagine? That would be my worst nightmare. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're just dropped on stage in front of thousands of people, and you have to sound smart. I know. Oh, I just jump no out the window and be on. like, I'm going to try a different life. I know. I'd, I'd be like, this right one's not for me. I will go back no. to the library. <laughs> so sh she's there, and she's in the audience, and her brother is her manager, and she's getting ready to go on. Um, so at least a thousand people 
We're watching the first speaker conclude her presentation, the author of Zero to Hero, the book Dan had beside his bed in another life. But Nora wasn't really listening as she sat in her reserved seat in the front row. It was hard to breathe in this room. It smelled of musky perfume and new carpet. She tried to stay calm. Leaning into her brother, she whispered, I don't think I can do this. What? I think I'm having a panic attack. He looked at her, smiling, but with a toughness in his eyes she remembered from a different life, when she'd had a panic attack before one of their early gigs with the labyrinths at a pub in Bedford. You'll be fine. I don't know if I can do this. I've gone blank. You're overthinking it. I have anxiety. I have no other type of thinking available. Come on, don't let us down. First of all, you know, this replaying of I have anxiety, I have no other type of thinking available is is core to her as a person. And that piece of her shows up in every life. But the extent to which it affects her is different depending on the life she chooses. So she's always herself, but she's herself in different situations. Right. And and different iterations. And often she has various medications that she takes to help cope with her mental illnesses. But her brother is the same. She always has the same family, the same set of people around her. It's she, just her life circumstances. Are she always has the same family. And it's interesting because one of the things that Mrs. Elm, who is the librarian from her childhood is the librarian in the Midnight Library who helps guide her and is the person to bring her the books when she says, I want to address the regret of X, Y, or Z. Lauren, do you see how important librarians are in people's lives? Librarians are just like... <laughs> You're like the crooks of the universe. Did you realize? They are. <laughs> and so one, one of the things that Mrs. Elm says to her is, you see, doing one thing differently is very often the same as doing everything differently. And it's this idea of of one small change. She says, never underestimate the big importance of small things. So in in one instance, for example, she says, I, I want to find a life where, where my cat doesn't die. I don't find my cat on the street dead. I, I don't want that. I, I'd like to try a life where my cat lives. Um, but that's a, a very minor change, right? I mean, that's not necessarily mm-hmm. tied to some huge regret that you know, 20 years later, you're like, oh, my gosh, like that clearly was a turning point in my life. Um, Butterfly effect. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So her family is always the same. It's always the brother. It's always the brother's best friend, Ravi, who she is also friends with. It's also her best friend, Izzy, and her parents. But how the lives play out is very different. In in one life, her brother has died and, and she's grappling with that. In another life, several other lives, it's various iterations of she's not speaking to these people and she doesn't know Mm. why. It was interesting because I I would think, you know, from an author perspective, like, how do you come up with all these different options for what could be? Mm -hmm. It's it's really fun. So the way the book is laid out is she tries out three or four different lives in pretty big detail where you really get mm-hmm. to know this new life and how she feels in it and how ultimately they're not the right fit because she continually goes back to the library. And and eventually, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, one of the questions is like, well, what happens if I find a life that I like? And Mrs. Elm says, well, then you'll just become a part of it. Like you just stop remembering that you've chosen this and you just start living it. 
What um, a cool concept. It is a neat one. I know, um, really. So, and I don't know if I can read this whole thing because it's a whole chapter where it's literally a list of- in, Probably not a whole chapter. Right. <laughs> in one life, she- was an aid worker in Botswana, in one life a cat sitter, in one life a volunteer in a homeless shelter, in one life she was sleeping on her only friend's sofa. And it and this whole chapter is just all of these iterations. She had been a rock star, an Olympian, a music teacher, mm. a primary school teacher, a professor, a CEO, a PA, a chef, a glaciologist. They do go into her being a glaciologist. I appreciated that. <laughs> Some of it is funny, like some of the iterations of the lives that she comes up with. And there's just this really dense paragraph of lists of things that she was or, ex- or experienced. Um, a hotel cleaner, a politician, a lawyer, a shoplifter, a waitress, first line supervisor, glass blower. She'd had horrendous commutes in cars, on buses and trains, on ferries, on bike, on foot. She'd had a 53-year-old boss with halitosis touch her leg under a table and text her a photo of his penis. She'd had what? I know gross. She'd had colleagues who lied she about was really her. A, she was really a lost soul. Yeah. She, <laughs> she went through so many lives. Let's see. In many lives, she chose not to work. Smart. And in some, she didn't choose not to work, but still couldn't find any. In some lives, she smashed through the glass ceiling, and in some, she just polished it. She had been excessively over and underqualified. In some lives, she was on antidepressants, and in others, she didn't even take ibuprofen for a headache. In some lives, she was a physically healthy hypochondriac, Lauren, and in some, a seriously <laughs> ill hypochondriac. <laughs> Lauren, wait. Lauren, Lauren looks shocked wait, by that. Am I a hypochondriac? I'm totally throwing shade at you. Do you remember growing up? She oh knew my you gosh. weren't paying attention. So many times you were like, do I have this? Do I have this? Am I a hypochondriac? Yeah. Yes, you are. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> but there's all these descriptions of like these very little things that kind of define who she is and what changes from one life to the next. Um, and none of them are particularly significant. And so for some of the lives, it's, okay, nothing really changes. And in other lives, it's one very small thing is different and and your life is nothing at all like you would expect it to be. What would you say the the general vibe of the book is? Is it like happy, uplifting, humorous, serious? Um, I did go and try and look up, you know, some information about the book. And some of the reviews that I read were kind of around how this was a little bit of a missed mark. Like it it seemed a little superficial instead of trying oh. to really dive deep into, I mean, this woman attempts to kill herself. And, oh, and that awful. is part of the first sentence of the whole book. And she has some pretty serious mental health issues. And, and it could, some of the reviews said that, that there was potentially a, a missed opportunity to really kind of do a character dive into this woman. And instead, it was a little bit superficial with the different lives that she lived. I personally found it very entertaining. I really enjoyed reading it. I I was compelled to keep reading it, like and turn the page and find out what happens next and what the different iterations were. You know, overall... That's such such an interesting critique because it was a wildly popular book. I mean, people loved it. It feels like people are putting something on the author that's not fair. Like they wanted it to be a book that it wasn't. Right. Like it wasn't meant to be a really intense, serious, deep dive into mental health. Like they touched, he touched upon it, but that wasn't the main focus of the story or not in the way that the critics wanted, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, Josie, you, you probably have some perspective on this where 
what you put out is a reflection of what you wanted. But if that's not what other people wanted to see in what you put out, or if they are perceiving like, oh, you could have gone this way instead of the way you went. I mean, that's a really hard thing to battle because as an author, you're producing a work of art and art is subjective and you are sharing your intentions. I think it's not just your intentions, it's your process. It's like there's something that that author wanted to think his way all the way through. Yeah. And that's why he wrote the book. And you have to allow the book to be the book. You can't say it could have, should have, would have been. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like there's maybe this book worked out something for that author. Maybe this book helped another reader work through something, a thought process that they they were starting to go on. And it's not always like he's dealing with his depression or anxiety. It's not always that face value thing that you get out of it. It's not always that big think sometimes it's just an idea that you can't stop thinking about and it's something that you need to explore all the way to the end and he felt like he did it for himself and that's got to be enough for the reader it's like if you want one of those stories that are dealing with mental health more there are other books out there like that that this book doesn't need to be anything other than what it was right yeah it it would have been such a different story Mm -hmm. if he'd gotten really intense and serious about her her mental health struggles right and i i think that's one of the things i appreciated about it is that you still understood the character you certainly felt for her and her struggles but it it wasn't depressing i mean this is a book that relies on the premise of suicide and and where do you go when you're trying to decide if you want to keep living or not and so that could be really dark and kind of sad and so I would say, the you know, the book definitely has some ups and downs uh, emotionally. It ends on a hopeful note. I certainly would say it's not a sad book considering the premise. I mean, I really liked it. It's I know. It's beautiful. funny. I read it. I read it, too. And I, I, did, I forgot about the whole premise of suicide because it did. It was just such a it was a fun read. It was just like an interesting, intriguing book. And also, if you're talking about like looking at all the different ways this individual's life could have turned out can be very self-affirming. So it's like if you're if you're stopping and thinking about the value of a life and all these different ways that it could have been lived, just her going through that process, maybe that was enough for her. Or maybe that was enough for the author. You know, it doesn't have to be like this big treatise on mental health. Right. Yeah. It didn't have to be heavy. Exactly. It's let the book yeah. be the book. What did you read, Josie? So, I had so much fun. So Aileen said that she was doing a modern day retelling of, you know, a Jane Austen book. So I was like, I have a book that I just read that was a retelling. It's Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. And I swear, you guys, I'm going to stop stalking her after this book. Okay, maybe I'll read one more <laughs> book and talk about it. And then I'll stop stalking her. I'm so frigging in love with the world she's created. And this book came out in 2018. It's, uh, it won the Locus Award for Best Fantasy. It was a Goodreads Choice. Uh, it was nominated for a bucket load of other awards. And um, this book is a modern day retelling of the Rumpelstiltskin oh. Oh, um, fantasy, which yeah. I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So the description of it is Miriam, that's the main character. There are three main female characters, but I'm not going to get into everyone. Miriam is the daughter and granddaughter of moneylenders, but her father isn't a very good one. Free to lend and reluctant to collect, he has loaned out most of his wife's dowry and left the family on the edge of poverty until Miriam steps in. Hardening her heart against her fellow villagers' pleas, she sets out to collect what is owed and finds herself more than up to the task. When her grandfather loans her a pouch of silver pennies, she brings it back full of gold. But having the reputation of being able to change silver to gold can be more trouble than it's worth especially when her fate becomes tangled with the cold creatures that haunt the wood. 
mm-hmm. and whose king has learned of her reputation and wants to exploit it for reasons Miriam cannot understand. So she's the Starnik are these, they're kind of like winter elves, and they they basically start that king of the Starnik, he hears this boast that this human can turn silver into gold, and he leaves a pouch of fairy silver on her doorstep. And she does, she takes it, she has it made into a beautiful crown and she turns it basically she turns it into gold and she does it three times and then he's forced to marry her right so then he brings her into this winter world and she has absolutely no wish to be there she's like i don't want to do this it's like i don't want to be a part of this and then she goes through the whole thing of he has three rooms of silver and then she's got to change those into gold but when she gets there she realizes if she just passes her hand over the silver it turns into gold so it's like this fairy retelling the Staria Kingdom is making, they want to make winter last forever because they're fighting the Chernobyl, which is this fire demon that's inhabiting the Tsar. So the, the Tsar has been taken over by this fire demon and the fairies are trying to smother the world in ice to get rid of him. And a long, long series of events that like, it ends up being Miriam and the Tsar who's trapped. I mean, and he's the character that I felt was the most interesting. So the the czar's name is Mirnatius, and he's this gorgeous man, but his mother sold him to the Chenbok. So he never had a choice. Like he, he's been possessed by the spirit who basically tortures him. And he's just such a dick in the beginning. And then you get why he's, I don't, oh, such brilliant storytelling, such a great character arc to make the czar into the point where you're just like 100% on his side. And the Tsarina, so the, the Chernobog wants to use the Tsarina to get into the fairy realm to kill the Staryak and take all the silver, whatever. And uh, his wife, the, the Tsarina, she ends up saving him in this really clever way and like getting the Chernobog out of him. And, and it's just so well told because in the beginning, she's terrified of him. She doesn't want to be married to him. And by the end of it, she's basically just trying to save him. And it's this, I don't know, it's totally lovely, you guys. And such a great retelling of the Rumpelstiltskin tale where it's, you know, in the silver into gold and you'll be married to the king and it all comes from a boast. And I loved how it started off with the money lender and dealing Mm -hmm. with Miriam and her family's Jewish and they're forced to live on the outskirts of the town and how everyone takes advantage of them. So Miriam, she starts collecting the money for her father as a young girl because her dad is too nice. Like he just lets people basically steal their money and never pay it back. And it gives you that the perspective of like her mom gets sick and she's like, that's it, dad. I'm going to get this money or mom's going to die. And it's like, it's almost as if the whole town has been taking advantage of this family for years and she finally stands up for them. And I I don't know. It's one of those difficult characters, the Shylock character, who now we're on her side. And that's a sign of great writing. Take a difficult character. And Miriam is. She's not a nice kid. Like, she's not a nice person. She's not likable. She's like, I don't care if you're going to go under. You owe me this many eggs. Give them to me. You know, like, she takes this girl, Wanda, who's wonderful. Her father can't pay his debts. She takes Wanda in as her servant. And Wanda ends up eating better there, so she's happy. But, like, she's a difficult character that you love, and you love how hard she is. And that's such a fine line to walk. You know, we're not She's not a lovable little orphan. You know, she's not this sweet little urchin. She's a tough girl. And it's such great storytelling when you have three women, Miriam, Wanda, and Irina, who's the Serena. When you have the three women who are such different characters with such different pasts, different educations, 
and they all get woven together so well at the end. Mm -hmm. Like their three storylines really come together at the end and you get the whole story. So Mm -hmm. I can't recommend it. I I mean, if you're into this kind of thing. You know, I love those books. (laughs) I love it. And it's just great world building. And so I want to read to you just like a little bit of how she wins over the reader, right? So this is Miriam's point of view in this part. This is when she's younger. So they had sent my father away empty-handed, and their lights shone out on the snow, and the smell of roasted meat slipped out of the cracks while I walked slowly back to the baker to give him a worn penny in return for a coarse, half-furred loaf that hadn't been the loaf I'd made at all. He'd given a good loaf to one of his other customers and kept him ruined one for us. You know, it's like this this never-ending, every little bit of her life is made harder by the people around her. And she feels like an outcast and she gets mm-hmm. back at them and you don't blame her. But in the end, she sort of like comes around and I couldn't recommend highly iron enough. Um, wh- what do you think makes certain stories worth retelling again and again? Like Pride and Prejudice has been retold mm-hmm. a million times. Like Rumpelstiltskin, like I know that one choice. surprised like, me. Yeah. But also like every fairy tale at the core, I feel like there's some kind of like moral dilemma or mm-hmm. story that can be woven in a bunch of different ways. So like, what is it that attracts an author to retelling a story? I don't know, but I can tell you what attracts me as a reader. Okay. Because I, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love Naomi Novik. I read this book. It was a while ago, so I'm not as familiar with the story at this point, but I also read Uprooted. I haven't read her Shalaman series yet or her dragon series, but what is it that I love about them? I love fairy tales. I love that dragons can be slayed and the, the downtrodden can get ahead. You know, I love that kind of thing. And I love fantasy. So it works out great for me. And Naomi Novik always has strong female characters, like Josie says. Sometimes there's sort of like a sexual tension between her, the main character and oh, a, ma- yeah. <laughs> a male in the book. <laughs> um, my kind of thing. So that's why I'm drawn to her writing. Um, mm. I think but I don't I, I love okay. but I think sometimes I if lo- there's an opportunity to to modernize it uh, especially yes. if there's outdated tropes or stereotypes that you want to remove. Yeah, that's fine. Or or make yeah, it something like more modern so that it's relatable. One of our um English teachers says that the best remake of I think it's Emma that she has ever seen mm-hmm. is Clueless. The movie Clueless. Oh, is fantastic. Yeah. Such a smart movie. So yeah. well done. I never realized that's what it I was. I know. Me either. Yeah. Okay. The reason why I like retellings is because there is, it's not just basic morality. It's like we all have this footprint in our head about the fairy tales that we were told or all of these, like the grim fairy tales, the way that they were originally laid out. There are these shapes in our head that we're asking these questions. This is this book is all about a boast. So the whole thing about Rumpelstiltskin isn't just the spinning silver into gold. The reason why the girl was made to spin silver into gold was because her father was boasting to the king. So it's all about a boast. And then the daughter is the one who's going to suffer for it. Like she's going to be killed if she doesn't spin all this silver into gold. So she gives her, she promises her firstborn child to Rumpelstiltskin without knowing his name. She's got to figure out his name. And then she has to use her wiles to find his name so that she can get her child back. The child's eventually born. And that that idea of being trapped, of owing something and how to get out of owing it. So she owed Rumpelstiltskin her baby. He did what he said. A money lender loans you money and, you know, they pay up and now it's your turn to pay back. And we all like 
this idea of being able to get out of what we owe. And that's what's at the heart of these stories. Like this sort of turns it on its head, like, but those people do owe Miriam and her family and they should pay. And we know that. And we sort of see it. We go, why do we all like this idea of taking advantage of some, like, we got what we wanted out of the bargain. But now, and when we have to pay up, we don't want to. And is that really just? And she makes you stop and think about that in this book. So I like how she's using the Rumpelstiltskin story to confront the idea. It's like, because sometimes they're asking too much, man. That's the truth of it. And the girl never wanted to turn the silver into gold in the first place. And why should she have to give up her firstborn child? Because her dad's a dick. And it's like, so like, that's why we, because uh, we think about these things. We think about the injustice of, think about, and it sticks in our head because it's one of those moral gauges inside of us. That's why all of these fairy tales stick in our head. Behind them is this, it's a moral question. Should we have to pay back what we owe, even if it is a little unfair. We knew what the terms were. She knew her firstborn child. Like, but having to pay it back is the right thing to do, the honest thing to do. I don't know. It's just some, it's one of those quandaries that people still think about today. Anyway. Are you having a huge thunderstorm, Aileen? I see your eyes. You're like, yes, this. there's like lightning and I have the mute uh, mute on because there's like clashes of thunder. I was not wow. expecting oh, wow. It's been rainy all day. Mm. Um, me all day. As far as retellings, I get retellings of fairy tales more than any other story. Because for me, it's what you grow up as a with as a child. And there's some like core morality to them. Like there's there's mm-hmm. good versus evil. And this is right. And this is wrong. And it's it's very simple. It's told as, in a simple way for a child, but I get being attached to it and then wanting to like retell it or re. Alyssa just got some food. What did you just get, Alyssa? <laughs> so David made scones. And- oh my! Oh my god! <laughs> wow! Can he be any more adorable? I know. Ridiculous. I know, right? I know. He, I want cutest. a scone. He's boy. taking oh a my- um. He's this is his second no. He's taking a cooking class at school. And so he's making all these things and he's coming home. He's like, well, this was amazing. I will make it again. So, yeah, he just he's, he's, like, a he's chef. Like cooking for a while. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be a chef. Yeah. He's that's he's awesome, really great Melissa. with food because you benefit. Yeah. It's fantastic. Sorry to distract you. I just really wanted him <laughs> no, to bring that's me okay. a no, no, that's I'm a- just I'm just jealous. I had scrambled eggs and a beer for <laughs> dinner. So I mean, that looks amazing. <laughs> well, OK, so. <laughs> But you're saying that the most common retellings would be of fairy tales. But I think one of the one of the things about retellings is that it has to be a well-known enough story that the original pervades either a culture or an era, you know, has some type of of clause in the zeitgeist of some being. Which is why fairy tales make so much sense, because everybody grows up like Grimm's fairy tales, like. Three Little Pigs, right. Lord Riding Hood, like all, like everybody knows those. But then something like Pride and Prejudice, that seems like a really interesting choice for so many people so to So many people, it's, right. It's so complex it's and the, so specific. It, it's the enemies to lovers story. Oh, it's, that's true. It goes yeah. way back. I mean, it's in Taming of the Shrew. It's, it's a classic love trope. So. I, I guess it's the origin of so many modern day stories and you just don't necessarily realize it. But that was the original. I love retellings because I love to see how the author uses it or deviates from it and how they take it, make it their own and what it is about that particular fairy tale that they focus on or that retelling that they focus on. She was taught, is it fair to not pay back what you owe? It's a really good question. And it's deeper than the story, like than just Mm -hmm. I'm going to use this as a template 
to tell a story that people already know so I can make money. You know what I mean? It's like she's adding to the story. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That makes sense, Josie. It makes sense because Josie, your book, your Starcross series is sort of based on a tale right. already. Yeah, There's no, a retelling. It's the, oh. it's the modern retelling of it. And I question my whole thing was I really wanted to figure out Helen of Troy. I wanted to figure out this character who's very different depending upon whether or not you read Homer or Virgil or anyway. She's this she's a complicated character. And I felt like, you know, was she kidnapped or was she did she want to do this? Like the culpability of Helen, something that always kind of stuck with me. And I, I thought it was just such an interesting such an interesting reflection for society. Like, this is how we think women are, right? This is what they are to us. Something to be stolen, possession, fickle. Uh, anyway, it's just something I really wanted to think about. Anyway. Did we cover everything we're supposed to cover? I know, let's see. Well, the only Lauren, thing Lauren, Elena and Josie have it printed out. I don't, do you? No. Okay, good. Okay, but, okay, <laughs> so I'm just gonna, next week, Lauren, you're not gonna be with us, but Barbara, Barbara Stepanski is gonna come in for you and she's going to take up our fourth square Ooh. i didn't mention that she's also adapting my book what she found in the woods for tv i oh. didn't tell you guys that yeah oh, very that. Cool. how did you forget that josie i don't know it wasn't in my notes <laughs> come <laughs> on wait, all right wait a minute let's let's talk about this for a second she's adapting it for tv is there already a deal yeah. is it a sure thing does she need to write it and then it gets done like what's, what's i'm not i'm not saying anything about it not right now it's just i've been i've been down this path many a time but yes she is attached as the showrunner for what she found in the woods i have a, a detour question for you then so aileen and i both have um the forgotten garden by kate morton that we can talk wait. about but is that okay that we're going to be talking about the same book or should I go reread your book and then be able to talk about <gasps> No, no, no. One? We're going to talk about The Forgotten Garden. We're going to totally talk about The Forgotten Garden because we can't talk about what she found it because I'll be oh. there. But we are all, we're going to read your books and talk about them at one episode. I know. We right? need to do a Josie episode. Oh, it's just so weird. It's too weird to talk about my books with you guys. And I've told you guys why. It's like, but we'll be positive. You know what really did happen to me. It's, it's blah, blah, blah. We'll be positive. It'll be good. It'll be interesting because <laughs> we can talk about the book and then you can talk about it from the author perspective. Like, yes, we can ask you questions. I remember when I was writing this particular chapter, you know, Pio was oh you know, really needing a set of colored pencils for school and wouldn't stop talking <laughs> about it or whatever, you know. Everything about this, it's just so cringy, embarrassing for me to talk about. I know. So we're going to be talking to Barbara, and we're going to be talking about The Secret Garden, not what she found in the woods next week. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what you think. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go eat this delicious scone out. that David brought for me. Oh, right. enjoy it. Cooper looks so awesome. Cooper really, really wants Oh, them. look at your dog. Cooper. He's grueling. And your dog is being so good, though. I would have been all over that already. Oh, because you feed the dog Alyssa. I know. That's why you that. No, I did not give him a chocolate piece. I wouldn't do that to you. All right, ladies. It was <laughs> nice right. chatting I with know. you. Happy birthday, right, Josie. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Josie. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> Yay me. I'm old. Hey, we <laughs> all are. Seven. It's amazing. Oh, ending with a lot right. yawn. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you all next right. week. Bye guys. Bye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Fiction Between Friends. To find the show notes for this episode or to subscribe and get new episodes delivered automatically, visit fictionbetweenfriends.com. Also, if you happen to have a moment and you've liked what you've heard, please help support our podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. 
we would be immensely grateful. Thank you for listening.